This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go three two one okay hey friends welcome to the elk shape podcast got a fun one today talking to an olympic athlete who also hunts which is always cool gonna learn a little bit more about the sport that he's pursuing how he got into hunting and maybe like that transferability between training for both endeavors it's just a great listen and uh this guy's cool because he's young but he's still in his prime he's got some pretty exciting hunting opportunities in 2023 and he's got his eyes on the prize on 2026 so join us and we appreciate your support you know you got a lot of options i say this on every podcast but i truly genuinely mean it thank you for choosing us we hope to inspire you or educate you entertain you some Something that your day's better after you listen to this podcast and uh, go from there. It is nearly September in my mind. We're talking less than 80 days out. What can you do every day? Something to make yourself more prepared for the 2023 season. Gosh, uh, we have some good ideas on this podcast when it comes to shooting. I think also backcountry food would be a good time to start preparing that or testing which foods you respond best to. Uh, what does your energy systems like and prefer? Are you going to run on carbs? What kind of clean carbs? What kind of freeze-dried or dehydrated meals agree with you and sustained energy? Are you testing vetting gear, upgrading gear? Also, if you buy gear from me at my store, thank you. I, I know you could probably get better deals out there, but it does support us. We appreciate you. If you are looking for a deal, go to blackovis.com. The discount code is ElkShape. Takes 10% off free shipping. Well, let's get into this podcast with Paul. He's uh, he's a Dakota boy, and uh, he's a pretty cool cat. We're live. What's up, buddy? Hey, not much. How are you doing? Good. Paul, where do you live? I currently live in... Oh, man. I'm moving in like a month, like two weeks. So I currently am living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and then we're moving back to Fargo um, for my wife's work. But I'm currently in Lake Placid. But um, so most times the most accurate way to say it is I just live out of a suitcase. But 
home base will be Fargo, North Dakota, um, for the next two years, starting in two weeks. You're a Dakota's guy, huh? I mean, not by choice, but I am, I am right now. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. So Lake Placid, are you like at the Olympic training center right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm out here currently for, uh, for a training camp. Um, this is where our team is kind of based for, for a lot of our training camps. So spend, spent a decent time, have spent a decent amount of time out here. Um, used to live out here in the training center. Uh, but now, now kind of have moved on a little bit from that spent it since, since I got married. Um, unfortunately my wife, uh, his work has taken us, I don't want to say, unfortunately make it sound like it's that bad, but, um, but yeah, I've, I've now relocated. No, that's perfect, man. Um, what's your wife? What kind of work does she do? She's currently a resident um, in orthopedic surgery. So she's in a five-year um, orthopedic residency program through the University of North Dakota. Yeah, five years is a long time. Um, she'll be ready to turn pro after that. Um, the thing is, man, the Winter Olympics is like, we're a ways out. What is it? 2026 is when it starts? Yep, correct. Yeah. So the last one was in 2022 in Beijing, and then 2026, it'll be in Cortina, um, Milan, in Italy. Okay, sick. And like, how do you solidify your spot, man? Like, what's your chances of making the team and, and being the starter for us? Um. So, I mean, the process isn't super complicated. It's going to start more or less in that season leading up to the Olympics. So in, uh, I would say probably starting in 2025, that's when that process is going to kind of start um, through different trials and you can qualify in the season before the Olympics. So the, the Olympic season will be in from 2025 to 2026 with the Olympics happening in February of 2026 in the season before that, through your results on the World Cup, you can qualify for the team. And it would just have to be like a very notable result at either the World Cup or the World Championships. And I think it would be something like top 10 or maybe even top five. That you could then secure your spot. Otherwise, you're going to have to go through just a series of trials. And then, so I don't know how it's exactly going to look for the next World um, Olympics, but for like this past Olympics, we qualified two guys before Christmas through World Cup results. So the two best World Cup results before the Christmas break qualified for the team. And then the next two spots, because we had four start spots, went to a trials on the IBU Cup, which is the – so there's World Cup is the highest level of racing. IBU Cup is just below that. And the four next guys – so the two two guys who were on the World Cup went down to the IBU Cup, and then there was a trials held in the U.S. They came over and raced the IBU Cup. Those four guys then raced for the last two spots. So that was kind of like all kind of confusing, but it's essentially just racing head-to-head, um, four guys making it. Um, and so this last Olympics, I qualified before the Christmas break with the top result leading into the Christmas break. Um, and I mean – looking into the future it's always like as it stands right now yeah pretty good chance um barring that nothing nothing happened in the future like i just am coming back from a knee surgery actually that i had in march um i had an injury in november that i spent some time at home doing some rehab and figured i'd give it give this season a shot before it even began and spent some time at the olympic training center out in colorado springs got my knee to a place where I felt like I was stable enough to head over to Europe, went over, raced, um, had a pretty decent season, but decided to cut it short to get my surgery with the, the, with the plan of keeping things long-term, making sure that I'm, I'm in the most healthy, um, positive place that I can be for 2026 and just kind of trying to start that recovery process sooner rather than later. Wow. How in the hell did you get into, to, biathlon which is like it's a crazy sport i can't wait to pick your brain on how you serve two masters i mean how do you divide your marksmanship versus versus your engine building and your technique like but how did you get into it 
Yeah. So um, I'll try to keep it relatively short because I think it's like a lot of little things I think that happened that resulted in me being where I am today. Um, growing up, I, I grew up in Northeast Wisconsin. So um, there, a lot of the dominant sports are football, baseball, basketball. And I didn't really think of myself as much of an athlete, um, even though I wanted to be one because I kind of saw how society made athletes into these like idols. And so um, I kind of struggled with the idea of not or of being an athlete because I just didn't see myself as being good at the sports that were around me. Um, and the sport that I kind of adopted as my own growing up was wrestling. And so that's kind of how I spent my, um, my, my winters. And uh, eventually I actually developed a, an eating disorder because I saw an opportunity to get my name up on a board, a weightlifting board at the, at our middle school. And I had to just drop a couple of pounds to get into the weight class on the board. And so I did the best I could as like a 14 year old kid. And I did, was like, well, if I still cut out this, I work out a little bit more, maybe I can stay at a healthy weight, not gain any extra weight. Um, and just kind of got caught in a really bad mind game that ended up, um, leaving me, leading me down a road, um, to anorexia and, and had, was really struggling with that for quite a while. Um, I just didn't really realize where I was until, um, fall of my freshman year of high school. And then at that point, my doctors, I went in for a physical because I just didn't feel like my normal self and asked my mom to go to the doctor. And she's like, yeah, let's go in. Um, and so at that point, I realized that that was going on. And somebody in my family that was really struggling to understand this was my dad. And he ended up passing away in a car accident that winter. Um, and at that oh. point in my life, just, just kind of like got put on pause. Um, I didn't really know what what to think, um, what to do. And, uh, later that year, um, after kind of the smoke had settled with, with like my dad's death and I just was continuing to struggle. Uh, my doctors sent me to Rogers Memorial hospital in Wisconsin. And we're like, he just needs to go to inpatient inpatient. He's not having any sort of progress outpatient. Um, and at that point, I mean, I was, I was very, very skinny. Um, and my heart was, I had a really slow heart rate. I have a slow heart rate to begin with. And there were signs of that. So I went to treatment and it wasn't until I got out of treatment that I got um, introduced to cross-country skiing. And before I went in treatment, I asked if I would ever be normal again, coming out of treatment. I just thought I was never going to be an athlete again because all of my um, experiences with uh, different, different sports up until that point were, were not good, did not enjoy, uh, the high school sports didn't think I was going to be able to just with like my restrictions as a um, getting out of treatment. And eventually somebody was like, Hey, do you want to try cross country skiing? And there was some, uh, this club at our high school. And so started doing that and just fell in love. Finally realized uh, I finally found a sport that I was like passionate about something I was doing for myself. And I mean, it also was a whole lot better spending my, my weekends out in the woods on ski trails than in a sweaty gym with a bunch of yelling parents as a wrestler. So uh, that led me then to, to college. And it was in college that my, my college coach, he, he was in biath a biathlete himself. He skied on the U.S. US biathlon team, raced for them on the World Cup. And he kind of just saw my talents, took me under his wing, and he knew the opportunities in biathlon and ultimately just kind of put that idea in my head and uh, when I graduated college in 2015, I decided to just kind of go for it and just went in, went all in. And it was really, really difficult to make that jump from being a college Nordic skier to becoming a, a biathlete and making it onto the national team. Um, but here I am now in 2023, still, still making it work. Oh, that's incredible. Um, what was that coach's name? His name's Chad Salmola. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy what an impact certain people have in your life. Um, so becoming a marksman, like from the ground up, how did that training look like? Yeah, I mean, I grew up hunting um, and I actually spent a lot of time at the bow range as a kid just because like there was a, a bow range that my my friend and I would always go bike to. Um, it was close to our house. We had like this little bike trailer. We could throw our bows in there and, and bike over. Uh, and I mean, just like shooting in my experience with a with a gun before biathlon was was like a pretty typical um of that for somebody who's who's hunting um but 
once I got to biathlon, that that's when you really started to pick down or pick apart, like, okay, this is how you build a position. This is how you think about the process of shooting, um, the different elements that create a, a really good shot. Um, and so the familiarity with, with firearms helped me because like, you know, like loading a, a magazine and how it goes into a rifle and like the idea of a trigger and just like basic mechanics of holding a gun were there, but they had to be refined in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, and so, I mean, the, the, there's two positions in, in biathlons. So you have prone position, which is when you're lying down and it's a much smaller target and then standing um, or, or offhand as some, some people call it. And so prone is a position where you really build up. It's more built out off of like tension uh, because you, you're, you're locked in with a sling that goes to a cuff that's on your arm. And so you basically build a tripod um, with your rifle and with your, with your arm and that position, you kind of relax into it a lot more. Um, and so there's some like finesse to it, especially because it's a smaller target, whereas standing, it's a lot more neuromuscular. You have to learn to be in that position. People first get into standing, it's really unstable. And you kind of have to learn how to deal with that because it, it is a larger target and because it is a less stable position, but you kind of have to learn how to control it as best you can and then how to execute a good shot despite not seeing the perfect sight picture every single time. So, I mean, that just takes time. And there's been a lot of um, top athletes that have come from cross-country skiing into biathlon just because biathlon uh, is is a way bigger sport uh around the world than cross-country skiing it's the most watched winter sport in central europe um it has huge in-person crowds and has can have a lot of money if you're one of the top athletes and so people have made the switch over and i would say when they do that and they really have to learn how to shoot i mean it's a it's a about a two-year process to really commit to shooting at a high high level consistently like you're gonna see flashes of brilliance in there potentially from time to time, but to really get to a place where it's like, you're consistently shooting. Well, I would say um, maybe some of the top people like year and a half, two years is a, it's a long commitment. It's a commitment of like going through the same process of like getting humiliated day after day, or like coming back from tough workouts, feeling like, Oh man, I kind of figured it out only to come back the next day and be like, I can't hit the broad side of a barn. So um, that whole process uh, it, it can be really mentally taxing. I think that's something um, that can be really difficult. And the reason why a lot of athletes give up on biathlon before they really get to the point where they can uh, see the, see the prog progress that from the hard work that they've put in. Oh, wow. All right. So forgive me for my ignorance. I didn't do a bunch of research so I want to have to have you explain like the actual event and the time domains and the scoring system. And I think the U.S., we've never won a gold medal in that event, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Um, so th that's like kind of the bummer, but also like a really exciting thing is that biathlon is the only sport that the U.S. has not won a, an Olympic medal in at the at the Olympic Games. So, I mean, that's kind of something that is always put in our face before every Olympics. Um, we've come close and it's something that we definitely are shooting for and something that my teammates and I have um, really recently just been like, we, we need to accept this challenge and like be excited to go after it because they're, they're, that's something that has never happened before and there's a chance for history to be made. So, so yeah, there's never been um, a medal won at the Olympics. However, we have had uh, a couple of athletes win at the world championships, including Lowell Bailey in 2016 in Hope Filson, uh, or 2017, uh, sorry, and also Susan Dunkley, both in 2017 and then also in 2020. So we've, we've seen the, we've seen that we are capable of doing, doing that at, at championship events. Um, however, I mean, having all of those things come together on, on that day is what makes biathlon so difficult, but also so special. And so a typical race, there's going to be a couple of different formats and with the formats, what's going to change is the, the distance, the and length that the race is. And then also either if it has two shootings or four shootings. 
Now, each time you, you have a race, you have an equal number of prone and standing shootings. So if you have a two-stage race, which means you have two shootings, you're going to have one prone shooting and one standing shooting. And then if you have a four-stage race, you're going to have two prone shootings, two standing shootings. So for, for simplicity's sake, uh, I'll explain what like a sprint race is like. Uh, a sprint race is going to be 10 kilometers long for, for men, seven and a half for women. And you're always going to start and end with shooting or with skiing. And so you'll go out for the, for the sake of men's race, you go out, ski a 3.3 K loop, come in, shoot prone, 3.3 K loop, shoot standing 3.3 K loop into the finish. Now in a sprint race, Every missed shot that you have, you have to ski a penalty loop. And this penalty loop is about 150 meters, and it takes about 22 to 25 seconds. So um, so for every missed shot, you're just adding length onto your time um, and, and, and time to the total race. And every time you come into the shooting, you have five shots. Um, so, so yeah, it, the, and the prone, and then I'll explain quickly the – the setup of the range. So the range is always going to be in the same spot on every course. So if you, when you go out and do that loop, you always come back to the range and then shoot. So you, in the range, the targets are always at 50 meters and you're always going to shoot five shots every time you come into the range. And the prone target is about the size of a golf ball. And the standing target is about the size of a CD. So, um, the only other instance where you, if you have a missed target in one race, which is the individual race, in that race, instead of having to ski a penalty loop, you actually have to, you just get a minute added onto your time for every missed shot. It's time to interrupt this podcast and pay some bills. Give some shout outs to my partners. These are the cornerstone to the Elk Shape brand. Shout out to Matthews Incorporated shooting the phase four, 29, 33 in 2023. Really excited about the split limbs. We're talking the quietest, most vibration-free bow on planet earth. Shoot it at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics running the UHDs, running the Viper 3000 for rangefinder. If you are in the market, eurooptic.com. Discount code ELK10 takes 10% off. If you want some of that Vortex wear, including that Sunslayer hoodie, discount code ELKSHAPE takes 20% off. On X Hunt Elite Membership, discount code ELKSHAPE, 20% off. Access to all 50 states. Complimentary membership to Top Rut. The most precise draw odds out on the market. You also get Hunt reminder, never miss a draw deadline. And it's the most robust platform proven in the backcountry for accuracy. NUMA Outdoors, that is the hunting clothing I wear in the backcountry. Discount code ELKSHAPE20 will take 20% off. Kufaro coming out with the new backpacks in 2023, the new Bino Harness. Check it out at kufaro.net. Their website has been updated. Best backpacks, best frames on planet Earth. MagView, discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. Digiscoping made easy. Made in America, lifetime warranty. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code, 20% off. ELKSHAPE 2023. Enter that. Check out the ELKSHAPE packages links are in the show notes you can see the elk shape stack that i take year round as well as my september stack and including the mrs elk shape stack buck knives made in the usa they're my neighbor 20 minutes down the road since 1902 two different style of knives for the backcountry this year check out the pack light series there's four different offerings there if you want to save weight or check out the new alpha scout or the alpha hunter both will be in my kill kit in 2023 crispy hunting brickstalls mountain gtx that that is my new favorite boot been testing it for the last six weeks putting it through its paces this is an awesome boot it's got a flex rating of three and it's very universal well-rounded all mountain all types of hunting check it out you can order online and if it's not the right fit you can send it back for the right size crispy is made in italy stealth cam non-cellular and cell they have a new cellular coming out actually i have my hands on it it's got on demand so if you want to get a picture anytime you want you can press a button they also have the regular 4ks which i I'm a huge fan of leaving trail cameras out year-round, especially on Elk Wallows. Discount code ELKSHAPE20 will take 20% off on non-sale, and ELKSHAPE10 will take 10% off cellular. Marsupial, get the enclosed bino harness with magnets. Never have brush debris in your bino harness. And check out the new hip quiver as well. That's just out, as well as their bow case, rifle case. I rock them all. Baku e-bikes, discount code ELKSHAPE, $300 off. If you're in the market, use where legal they are stealth mode. And always, Black Ovis, 10% off any purchase, discount Discount code ELKSHAPE plus free shipping and it's fast. Last but not least, we have Sheep Feet, Fatty, Alien Gear, Crossover Symmetry, Canvas Cutter, discount codes in the show notes. Back to the podcast. Gotcha. 
do you really can't afford to miss at all then i would assume if you're going to take podium so um generally speaking it really depends on the day so like if you have like a really windy crazy day and like uh it, the shooting conditions are tough um you might you might see some guys winning with like maybe one miss but but the general rule is in like a one stage or in a two stage race. So you're taking 10 shots. You gotta, you gotta be hitting nine or 10 out of 10. Um, anything less than nine below 90%, you really start to struggle to get in that top position. Um, that, and and maybe if you're like a really fast skier, you can, you can maybe squeak out a win with nine out of 10, but generally, um, you're going to have to do 10 out of 10 in the sprint race. If you, if you really want to win. And if you want to have a solid race, um, you're looking at that 90 to hundred percent on the shooting range in a four stage race, um, maybe 18, 18 out of 20 shots, uh, 19 or 20 is really what you're going to have to do to, to make sure you're getting that win. So yeah, it's to, to be on the podium, you're looking at hitting every single target, uh, to have a good solid race. You're looking at 90, 95% or more. Uh, for shooting on the range. So hitting the target is the only criteria. There's no like scoring system for how accurate you just hit or don't hit with a, a 22, right? Yep. 22 long rifle. And yeah, for on race days, it's all, it's all about hit or miss. And so the targets, they just have a, a system where if you hit in the middle, the target goes from a black circle to a white circle. Um, and that can either be a, a paddle, which just basically flips down if you hit the target um, or there's some electronic ones where the, if once they sense the bullet hitting the inside of that target, uh, then it'll turn it white. So that's how, you know, if you, if you hit it or not, um, during, during the race, we do do some, some shooting tests where you'll, you'll score on like scored paper, but that's more just precision, just kind of seeing how, how your shooting is. Um, and, and like I said, that's, kind of like the difference between like there's precise shooting and then there's accurate shooting. And the difference is, you know, like when you're going for precision, that's when you're going to be doing it on like scored paper, seeing how close you can get to the center. And then there's accurate shooting, which is mostly what biathlon is, is um, if you can either hit the target or not. Okay. I see. I see. So realistically, like the best part I've seen these events on TV is obviously that sprint at the end where these guys and gals, go to the <laughs> to the levels that they probably can't even get to in training it's just like you're full on red line uh describe that process for us and like what happens to your body yeah um are you are you saying more like the training and how you get I'm to talking that point where in, you push your body or in competition in the event you've already made your shots and it doesn't end with a shot. It ends with you physically skiing your ass off, like going up against the threshold. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the thing that makes biathlon so exciting is the fact that you throw this shooting into the mix of what would be just a race normally. So like typical running, skiing, biking race, whatever. It's like, okay, you see the front group, they kind of formalize and then like the front somebody goes off and you can kind of see the race playing out in slow-mo biathlon things can happen and change really fast. So you have a guy who's skiing 30 seconds faster, but then he comes into the range, misses one in his last shooting. And then there's three dudes behind him that were 25 seconds back. All of a sudden they're five seconds behind him. And, you know, you might be in say it's a mass start race. You, you never know what's going to happen coming into the range. And so things can change really, really fast. So a lot of times on that last loop, say you come in, shoot clean, which means you hit all your targets. That's just like biathlon lingo for hitting all five targets. You shoot clean on your last stage and you're just, bam, you're back in it. And so you're going to, you might be getting splits from your coach where it's like, there's five guys, three seconds ahead of you. And so you have to think about, okay, where can I make up three seconds on these other guys? And it's not three seconds on guys who are like wallygagging. Everybody's trying to get to the finish line as fast as they possibly can. So we're talking tenths of a second sometimes when, you, when you're crossing the finish line. I mean, we'll even see ties uh, every once in a while where it's like you just skied a 10, 12 and a half, 15K race and you are 0.1 seconds behind a guy. And, and it maybe even it's an interval start race. And so 
you, you are constantly trying to think, okay, where can I find time anywhere on the course? Is it going to be pushing harder on the uphill? Is it going to be skiing a downhill as fast as you possibly can? And I mean, there's, there's all this pain that's just there present, but it's like, where do you put your focus? What are you really focusing on? Are you going to be like, oh my gosh, I hurt so bad right now. Oh my, I can't breathe this and that. It's like, it's for me, it's like, okay, it's whatever feeling you're feeling at that point, it's not going to last, whether it feels good, whether it feels bad. However, it stops once you get to the finish line. So the best thing to do is just to get there as fast as you possibly can, because that's what kind of makes it all stop. That's when it ends. But also you might, you don't want to cross the finish line and then look at the results and be like, man, I was 0.1 seconds behind another person. And so uh, I think the mentality really just comes down to like, okay, I want to leave everything out here so that I, I don't leave any question of like, could I have done more? Now, inevitably you cross the finish line. And you always think of the places, well, I, I maybe I could have gone more here, gone more there. Um, but I mean, it's, right. it's cutthroat. You, you got all these incredible athletes. Everybody wants to, to do well. It's not like anybody's backing down. And so it's like, either you rise up and, and bring your best to the, to the table or else someone's going to be there to take it. Um, because you, because you gave up. Wow, man, the physicality, the mentality I'm into it. Um, so basically would this be your first Olympic or this would be your second one? I, I wasn't clear on that. Yeah, this would be my, my second. Wow. So how'd the first one go, man? Um, it was good. Uh, I mean, we were in China, so it was, it was definitely a little weird with, with COVID, but all in all, I, I, I had a great time in Beijing. Um, we, we had some, some good performances. Um, for me, I had, I mean, we were right in it in the mixed relay and I was the anchor in the mixed relay, um, skiing with the top guys. Uh, so I was fourth coming into my first shooting and unfortunately the, it was a tricky range. The wind was up and then it died in the middle of my shooting. And so we're shooting standard velocity uh, ammo. And so as a result of that wind does affect our, our, our shooting. And so you kind of got to pay attention to the wind flags and stuff. And that's something that I, I had was just in the zone shooting, didn't realize until afterwards in my spares, um, hit some targets again, but just kind of lost contact with, uh, some of the top guys, but to like be in that moment is like, man, this is what we train for. Um, and maybe it wasn't, maybe I was in that moment at that point for a future, future date where it's like, okay, when I see myself there again, at some other time, it'll be like, okay, I'm not here for the first time. Um, I'll be ready. But, uh, I mean, the whole experience, it, it is kind of crazy too, because we race, we race all year long. Um, every single year we have nine world cups plus a world championship. So it's not like we, in like non-Olympic years, we're not racing. We're always racing. It's always high level. Um, but there is this special spirit to the Olympics where it's like, you're, you, you don't have any other sponsors on your, on your clothing. It, like all of that is gone and you're just there as an American or you're there representing wh whatever country it is that you, um, where you live. And, and there's something special about that. Um, and it's, it's really cool. And, and unfortunately, you know, not, it was a little different not having spectators and everything else there, but, um, it was really special to be able to, to go there. And, um, it was, it was a real time of reflection for me as well. Uh, cause I mean, as I said, I didn't grow up thinking I was gonna be a biathlete. I didn't grow up thinking I was capable of getting to the Olympics, uh, doing all this stuff. It just, uh, I kind of just kept working, 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 just taking that next step and just seeing that next, uh, thing kind of dang dangled out in front of me, um, walking through every door that was open. And it, and I think being at the Olympics was kind of a time where all of a sudden I looked back and I realized, whoa, I've come a long way. Like, this is pretty cool. Um, so it was, it was pretty special in that, that sense. Um, and so it, it, and that's kind of where I started to think like, man, do I want to go another four years or not? And that's because it's, it's in a commitment. It's not a comfortable route, uh, to go train for the Olympics. It, it, it takes a lot of sacrifice and takes um, a lot of commitment stuff. But, um, as I said, with the race, it's like, I also started to question like, man, do I want to not go for it? And then kind of wonder, man, what if I did? So, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool to, in a lot of different ways. What's your uh, distances you're shooting at, not only standing, but prone? Uh, or, or what's the, I mean, maybe they don't tell you exact distance, but, or changes, but 
on average, what are the distances you're shooting at? So the, the range is always set up. So the target's always at 50 meters. So it's always going to be the same. Okay. That makes sense. And then I would assume the prone shots are a little more bankable. In in what sense? Hitting the target versus standing, especially in you know, variant conditions with wind and whatnot. Yeah. So I would say there, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, it really depends. Like some, some guys are really good prone shooters. Some guys are really good standing shooters. Uh, I think some people have some talent in one or the other. Uh, I would say generally, yeah, you're going to have higher percentages in prone one because it's earlier in the race. Like you always shoot prone first and you always end with standing. And so a lot of times the, the highest pressure uh, shootings are going to come down to prone or to standing. Like you're going to come in for that last shooting. Um, and so your mind's going to be running a lot more. You're more tired. You're standing up. Um, so, so yeah, I would say that prone generally higher percentages, you see a lot more people shooting, shooting clean, um, at the start of a race than at the end in standing. Okay. That makes sense, man. Well, how much does training get in the way? I mean, you live in the Dakotas primarily. That's a great place to hunt whitetail and mule deer and antelope and, you guys do have elk, but those tags are stingy. Um, like, how do you how do you get away, man, and make time to go hunting? Yeah, it's it's tough for the longest time. Um, I mean, like when I lived out here in in Lake Placid, I didn't I didn't have as much time to to get out hunting, and uh, I missed it a lot just because like growing up, that was the outdoors to me. I didn't even know there was this whole other world of like skiing and biking and hiking, camping. Uh, I didn't know that that outdoor world existed. Um, until I like went to college and then I was like, wow, well, look at this. And I also just became really like, uh, really fell in love with fitness and getting out and exploring wilderness that way. So I was like, oh, how can I kind of like blend these two together? And so in college, me, me, my roommates and I would get out and do some hunting in the fall and stuff. And, and so once I, got into biathlon then it was like man I, I would love to do this still but i just don't, don't have time and a lot of times i'm leaving for europe in uh early to mid-november so uh for me it was, it was basically like okay bow seasons are going to be my big big time to be able to get out and, and hunt um and just kind of like prioritizing that and so seems like every year i get like one good hunt in it's like okay you you can make time for for one hunt um and so this last year, it was like uh, being going out and elk hunting with with my buddy in in Montana. Um, every spring, I can get out turkey hunting uh, back home, which is which is great because like that's something I really enjoyed as a kid as well. Um, so I think like spring's taking a great 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 advantage of that time because that's a little bit more of a downtime for us. Um, so I, I mean, I'd love to try and get out and do some like spring bear hunting at some point if I can find time. Um, but then once I get into the summer. I mean, summer, there's really not any hunting season stuff, but that's like where the bulk of the training is, is going. Um, and then, yeah, in the Dakotas, get out and you can get out and do some good waterfowl. Um, that's pretty easy to access. But this year, I actually drew a, um, a moose tag for North Dakota. So that's going to be my big uh, like oh, focus yes. for hunting this year. So, um, yeah, was not expecting that at all. Um, I mean, I've been applying for the moose, elk, bighorn sheep in, in North Dakota, because as a North Dakota resident, they do have seasons for all of those. Um, so people who aren't like as familiar and maybe even are surprised that like North Dakota has those, it's kind of like, okay, I think, I think for like bighorn, they get like four or five tags a year. So it's like super small and they don't actually do that draw until the end of the summer after they've evaluated the populations. And so I, I put in for an elk, um, in one, in one unit where I was like, okay, if I, this one has like a one in 10 chance. I'm like, that's a pretty good chance. And then I saw this moose tag and I was like, I'll put this one in like just off chance that I got it. And I actually drew it. So it's an, any moose tag I can hunt, uh, bow and rifle season, basically just the tag is good for, for the year until I get any moose. Um, and so that's going to be a, um, a real focus of mine, planning out some, some scouting trips to go out to the part of the state where I, where my zone is, um, basically just going to be like on foot, bike, run, paddling, doing whatever I can to like put on the miles and kind of locate where the moose are this summer, kind of just 
trying to get in the training workouts that I, that I need, <laughs> just like adapting them to try and, um, find some moose. And then in the fall, I'll, um, in September, I'll go with, I, I basically blocked out two weeks for the bow hunting season. And I'll go out there and do that because that is a, it's a once in a lifetime tag too. So it's my only opportunity to hunt moose in, in North Dakota for the rest of my life. And so it's kind of like really want to put in the time and make sure that I take advantage of that opportunity. Um, and for me, it's just, okay, looking at my training schedule, um, what can and can I not do? And then, uh, prioritizing enough to make sure like, okay, I want to get my training in and make sure that I'm, I'm staying focused through this summer and early fall so that when I go moose hunting, I can really just like be there, be present, enjoy that experience and not be like, oh, I should really be leaving early or I should be doing this. It's like, no, I want to get my work done hopefully be prepared so I can go and do my thing there. Yeah. I've drawn one once in a lifetime moose tag in Idaho, Shiris as well. And incredible experience. And, um, my only regret is that I have an elk hunting addiction. So I elk hunted all of September and my daughter was probably three months old. And then my tag starts October 1st, and I just remember my dad being a really good dad and saying, hey, your wife will not be happy with you if you just go hunt moose for the next month as well. So I remember I kind of rushed my moose hunt. I probably, well, I don't really regret it because I love elk hunting that much. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Much, but... Um, it was a four day hunt. I passed on a few bulls, a couple bigger than I actually ended up killing, but kind of got down to the crunch time. And, um, I think I shot my moose maybe three or four yards. I mean, called them right into some thick brush. And I remember I shot them like it, it was, a, it was everything I wanted in a moose experience, you know? Um, and then I will say that, uh, to steal this from a guy I met in Canada, like moose is definitely the champagne of all the protein sources out there. It's my, f it's the best wild game meat I've ever had. So I hope you get a big, healthy one, man, to put in your freezer. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping so. Um, my, my neighbor down in Sioux Falls, he, he's done some moose hunting before and he's excited to, to come with me and, uh, yeah, no, it's. It, I, I was like super excited to, to draw and I actually drew a, um, a cow elk tag for North Dakota as well this year, which I'm like, oh man, I don't know how much time I have, but I'm tentatively thinking that I might be coming home for Christmas because we have a Christmas break uh, for about two weeks. And there's been a lot of years where I've stayed in Europe for that because it um, sometimes can be a little bit easier to get training in, stay over there because um, we start racing again right after the new year. But I think I might come home. And then try to get out on skis and see if I can't maybe find an elk that way um, in at the end of December because that tag goes through January 7th. So um, might be doing some hunting on skis. We'll see if I have the time and uh, if there's enough snow too in Fargo. Maybe I'll just be running around like a like normal. <laughs> Dude, if you could hunt them on skis, I think that would like, get a camera guy film that. That would be so unprecedented um i mean just you don't see that every day the thing with north dakota from a non-resident standpoint they're stingy really stingy to non-residents it's tough to get a tag and they have probably shouldn't say this kind of stuff but uh at this point i don't care i'm sorry but world-class mule deer hunting on the west side but getting a tag so hard um incredible whitetail numbers um even antelope man like North Dakota, and it's got in remarkable terrain. I've hunted South Dakota twice, and I've loved it. I got to get back. It's really incredible. But I've driven through North Dakota both times, and I've just seen so much potential for, for hunting opportunity there. But uh, if you guys are interested, you got to get your name in the hat, and you got to build points. 
and it's uh, it's a process. So I'm glad you uh, got rewarded for putting in all these years, and I I know you'll make the most of it. Yeah, no, I mean we're currently living in in Sioux Falls, and like I mean spending some time in in South Dakota this past year. It's like you said, it's a really cool, really cool area. Um, had a lot of fun, like waterfowling, waterfowl hunting, uh, around that area a little bit this last year. I had a couple of, couple of days where I was able to make it out and I didn't grow up, um, hunting ducks or, or any other sort of waterfowl. So it was fun just kind of like learning some of that, but, uh, yeah, North Dakota is an interesting one because it's the least forested state in the U S so, um, not a lot of trees, just like a ton of grassland, but, but out West it, it can get pretty cool in some of those grasslands, bad lands um, kind of bluff kind of country. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to taking advantage of some of that stuff these next couple of years, um, getting out West and doing some like antelope, uh, mule deer, whitetail. Cause as, as a resident, you can kind of take advantage of some of that stuff where, um, as a non-resident, it gets a lot more difficult. Yeah. So you haven't really elk hunted yet. Um, this last year, last year I went, um, with, with my friend. So we had a, he drew a, uh, a bull tag in, in Montana in like the Missouri breaks area. So we were out there bull hunt or he was hunting for a bull. I was hunting for a cow. Um, he ended up getting like a, a pretty nice bull and it was kind of the opposite of what a lot of people had. I mean, I had, we had opportunities at bulls all week. Um, but we never really found any cows, which was like a real bummer. So, um, but I mean, man, it was, it was a, awesome awesome experience definitely looking forward to like getting back into some of that uh it's just uh, it's tough sometimes because it's like man i i should set a more time aside for that right now and then uh i just remember like i got to stay committed to to biathlon that's like my number one priority and like making time for those hunts is important um but you know i can't do the the full month, <laughs> the full month of like chasing bulls out West, which someday I'll probably get there, um, after I'm done with biathlon. But for now it's, it's kind of stuck to about a week. I got about five to seven days, um, for, for that, those big hunts. And this year I'm going to kind of keep it a little bit bigger because of the moose hunt being a once in a lifetime. Like, okay, I'll, I'll give myself two weeks. Hopefully, hopefully you can seal the deal a little, a little before that. Um, but I just like, I really don't know. I don't want to I don't want to get out there and be like, oh man, I wish I had more time. Um, so I'm just going to give myself a little bit of extra this year. Mm, I love that. Well, this is where I wanted to take the podcast and kind of end here, but like you're an Olympic athlete, you're, um, a hunter through and through what kind of lessons can you share with the audience that all this mixture of awesome stuff you do has taught you that could help others really prepare as of today, 81 days until September 1st. This podcast will drop in a week from today. So this is your time, brother. Shine, teach us, drop the knowledge. What lessons do you have for us? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking, I mean, there's so many different things. And sometimes I don't even realize what those little little nuggets of knowledge that, that I hold are until having conversations. But I think some of the big ones is the shot process that a lot of people, um, they don't refine that. Um, and also that when they get maybe the people who do take the time to get that shot process, think about it. They maybe only spend that time on the range or shooting, uh, like 3d targets without any other sort of mindset coming into play, not taking the time to like really visualize that animal that they want to take. And then really starting to feel that heart rate come up, really starting to feel like, okay, if these nerves are coming, if these thoughts are coming in, really trying to put yourself in a position where it's like, man, this is what it might feel like when the animal's in front of me and I need to learn how to shoot through that sort of situation. And that's something that we do a lot in training where, I mean, like we're always making bets, like with our team, I don't say making bets, but it's like, okay, we're going to do this drill. And like, if you miss this many targets or if you miss a target, it's 10 pushups, um, really making like high pressure situations. One thing that we really love to do, uh, my teammates and I can't, and the name of the drill came from Eminem's song, Lose Yourself. We call it Mom Spaghetti, where we come in last shooting of the day, 
And so somebody will call mom spaghetti. Where are we? And it'll be, okay. Hey, we're in Hopefields in Austria and last shooting of the pursuit race. And so then we put ourselves in that situation and for, and so the, the drill is if you miss a shot, automatic 50 push-ups. Whereas like, yeah, the first three shootings of a race, if you miss one shot, 10 push-ups, whatever, but that last shooting, I mean, that's the, that's the granddaddy of the, of the shootings. It's like, you need to shoot clean on that. And so you feel that pressure. Cause it's like, man, I don't want to be doing 50 pushups right now. We've already been skiing for two hours. I'm tired. And I think that's the sort of pressure that you want to create, build into your shooting. Um, and then not to mention like going out and shooting tired, like go out. If you, if you are training, which if you're, if you're serious about your hunting and you want to be, um, effective when you're out in the field like yeah you're gonna be training shoot after your workout shoot at the end when you're tired i mean the chances of you being out in the field feeling fresh feeling great are, are probably really really low unless you get lucky enough to maybe get into to a bowl right away on your first day um which is awesome but like you can't go into a hunt um expecting that you mean you want to uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And I think that's a, a great way to do that. Kind of institute some of that, that tired fatigue feeling that you might feel. Um, but make sure you're not doing that too much because you don't want to ingrain bad habits when you're fatigued and stuff. And letting those bad shots go, just be okay, evaluate. This is what didn't go well. I know I'm capable of it. And then have that um, go back into your your shooting and do what you want. And that that just comes from like intentionality, making sure you're going into those shootings with something to work on. Don't just be there just throwing, throwing arrows or lead down the range. You gotta, it's like, okay, what am I doing with each one of these shots? Am I doing good work? That's going to make me a better shooter, make me better prepared. Um, and then I think on like the physical side, um, as a biathlete, I mean, it's an endurance event We're we're going to be going, our races are generally 20, 25 minutes to 45, 50 minutes long. So I mean, that's going to be like a high output, max VO2, um, mostly anaerobic sort of race. However, our training is really high volume. So we're going to be training 25, 30 hours a week of just physical training plus um, our shooting and stuff. And so the big reason with that is, is we need to train our aerobic systems to be able to hand these, handle these large volumes of high output races throughout the year. So basically from end of November through March, I'm racing three, four times a week sometimes. And so when you're doing that, you need to be able to handle a lot. And to do that, you have to really work on your aerobic system. So uh, don't like just be lifting weights. Like, yeah, you're going to be strong. You're going to be able to maybe handle your handle carrying your pack and stuff, but you got to make sure you're working on your aerobic system as well, making sure your body can burn fat. Cause if you can't burn fat, you're just going to be burning all your glycogen, your sugars really, really quickly. And after the first day, you're just going to be shot because you're not going to be able to replenish those stores for a couple of days. Whereas if you, if you're working on long distance aerobic training, you're really going to be able to utilize fat. You're going to become more efficient. You're going to save that glycogen for when you really need to get somewhere fast. Um, and, and that's going to be really important. And then on the other spectrum of that, make sure you do that really high output really difficult sort of scenarios because that's going to help you get used to like that that your heart just pounding like crazy feeling like it's going to jump out of your your chest like that's going to make it's not going to be as foreign of a feeling because that's probably what you're going to feel when that animal's in front of you like i mean it it's hard to really train for that and so um because it's different it's more like that adrenaline shot however the physical training you can get ready to feel that and be comfortable and be okay with how your body feels um, if you're doing some of that really high intensity output training. Um, so I think those are like some of the basic overviews. I could probably go on for a long, long time um, talking more specifically about like how you would train um, anaerobic, going into anaerobic threshold to uh, anaerobic and strength periodization over the year, um, how you like differentiate um, precision shooting. So like in the start of the year, you want to stay precise, make sure you're working on the fundamentals of your shooting. And then you start to go into the more complex, um, more dialed shooting for what you're really going to be working on. So like, you know, uh, more target shooting, then moving into like more hunting or for me, like race shooting, um, 
being able to combine those things. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot there. Uh, biathlon's a complicated sport, which is part of the reason why I love it so much. So many things can go wrong. So many things can go right. Um, and you just like want to prepare for all of those different things. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of threw a lot out there, but I don't know if uh, you have any more questions where you're maybe curious about something that you're you're thinking of specifically from from your standpoint, what you're thinking about for the, the coming season. No, I'm always thinking about the audience, man. I'm thinking about, okay, what can we what can we give them as tangibles to leave this podcast better prepared? So let's just spitball back and forth a little bit and dig in on one component that I really think stands out to me. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on threshold training, anaerobic versus aerobic and high intensity and periodization of strength and all that stuff. But bottom line is, man, brick a sweat every day. You have 81 days left until elk hiking season, not elk hunting season. You are a professional hiker when you hunt elk. And let's talk about what they can do now um, with their weapon, because you said don't go out there and just sling sticks for no like for no other reason other than to just do it. I couldn't agree more. I think you need to have a purpose behind every arrow. So the first thing I'm going to recommend, and I'm going to bounce it over to you, is I'd like to see everybody do a cold bore broadhead shot going forward uh, right away, right now. Like, yeah, get your broadheads and your field points tuned up now versus August and um, – that way you're not like waiting in line at the archery shop with all the other guys who need like the, to borrow the bow press to put a twist in their string or something or their cable or to adjust the rest. Get the broadheads tuned ASAP. And so I like the idea of literally having your hunting backpack or your training backpack. I have a backpack dedicated just to training and I have a 40 pound sandbag in there and it's on my deck. And so typically in the mornings I'll have a cup of coffee do my thing, my morning routine, and I'll go outside and shoot one arrow at a broadhead target with my backpack, bino harness, boots on. And it's not always just a standing perfect shot. It could be from my knees or from one knee or in a squat, or it could be I'm going to hold my bow back for 30 seconds and then shoot. I'm just trying to to get exposed to all these different stimuluses. Or, or variety of shot opportunities. And I'm really just evaluating how am I going to shoot my bow with one arrow that really all that matters. Um, there's no warm-ups in hunting. Like um, last year I hunted New, New Mexico. I killed on day five. I didn't shoot a single arrow for, for five days until I shot that one in the evening of the fifth day. And then... I went right to Idaho and I hunted the 8th through the 17th. I never shot a single arrow until it was a 48-yard shot on the 17th. And then I went right to Montana a couple days later and I hunted for four days. And again, for four days, I didn't shoot a single arrow until I had my shot at 26 yards. So the point of all that is, is I don't know about y'all, what y'all doing, like, I don't see my truck in the daylight. I'm in the mountains hiking for elk and I don't have, I don't shoot stumps. I don't shoot grouse. I don't, I just want to shoot bulls. So the broadhead cold bore challenge, it is on Paul. What do you got for us? Yeah, I think, I think those are, that's a great point of just being like, okay, are you confident in one, your equipment and then two confident in your ability? You don't want to be going out there with the thought, Oh, I hope I hit this shot. It's like, no, you want to be able to say like, I see that target. I know I can do this and I'm going to make it happen right now. Um, so I, I totally agree. And I think you, you want to think about situations that you might be in, in hunting. And like, I think something we do for, for biathlon, like I'm usually not going to be standing on the range in position for more than 30 seconds ever in a race. Um, usually our shootings are like 20, 25 seconds to 30 seconds at the most. However, I'm going to be doing really long holds in shooting position because I want to build that that strength in that position so that I can be rock solid. There's some endurance as well in that shooting. And I think about times when like people are out hunting, they may have to like they may draw back, get caught in a situation where they're just at full draw for a long time. And sometimes it's like I, I've done that with my bow where I'll just like sit basically just like right in front of the target or bail and just hold and just be like, okay, I'm going to try and hold this for a minute and see if I can stay there and like build up some of that strength so that it's like, 
you're not freaking out where it's like, oh man, I just like, I'm stuck full draw. Am I going to be able to make this shot now? It's like, no, you've already done it. Like, you know, you can hold your bow back for a minute, two minutes, whatever it is. And you can still make that good shot. And so part of the time thing is like, yeah, practicing situations, but a lot of times it's proving yourself that you're capable of doing that thing to make it count when you need to. Um, so I think it's really important. And I mean, the, like you said, yeah, do get, get your stuff together now. Like the last thing you want to be doing is switching things up in August. Um, you're not used to it. You're not familiar with it. Like do it sooner than later, get familiarized with it now, build the confidence in your, your equipment and your ability so that you're ready to, ready to go. Um, when the season hits. Another potential idea for folks is like, if you are getting training bouts in, whether it be Maybe you have a home gym, maybe you have a garage gym, maybe you have to drive to the gym, or maybe you're going on runs or rucks or what have you. Put together a three-group arrow pre- and post-workout. So all that really is is just shoot three arrows at said distance, put a tape measure on that group, go work out, come back out to the range. Maybe it's a you know a 20-minute drive from the gym home. Shoot that three-arrow group again. And start shrinking that second group down to match the first one. Because I don't remember a single elk I've ever shot where I was like fresh as a daisy, not under duress or tired, fatigued, or really excited about the opportunity happening in front of me. So I do think that's a best practice is to to kind of do a group comparison pre-post. Um, what were you saying about the fine tuning of your shooting towards the preseason. Like obviously if you don't have your fundamentals established at this point, um, you're in trouble, but let's say these guys have, have been shooting year round, have gotten the technique dialed and now they really want to ratchet up some specificity. Is this, is this like, um, just mixing up the shooting distances, stances on even ground, wearing backpacks, like what kind of, ways can they shoot so it's just not to maybe even create higher perceived pressure betting with your friends mom spaghetti for the archery guys what do you think yeah i think um like this spring i shot um so i had knee surgery and like didn't really have a lot of stuff that i could be doing at the time so i found that one of the one activity that i could still do with after my knee surgery was going and shooting my bow and I was at the range and I saw that the state tournament in South Dakota um, was down like an hour and a half away. So I signed up and just shot in that archery competition. And I think like, that's a great example of like, you're putting yourself in a position where you feel those nerves. You feel like your shots carry weight then just like in hunting. Like when you're, if you miss a target, like, so be it, you miss an animal. Like, I mean, that's your shot. Um, so like if there's tournaments, if there's competitions, um, get going that stuff and like really kind of like be competitive with your friends. If you're, if you're going to like total archery or, um, some other 3d shoot, like try and try and be competitive and, and don't be scared of that. Like, just know that you're by being in those positions, you're actually preparing yourself better. Um, and so that's, those, those are really, uh, great things to do. And I think, all in all, like don't, don't overshoot as well. I think that's another really important thing. Cause that's like, uh, you don't want to be at the range just like, Oh, I need, I need to hit this target. If I don't hit it today, like I'm not leaving until I, you know, shoot whatever at some certain distance or something. Some days you got to just say, okay, you know what? Walk away, come back tomorrow, clean slate, work on this, uh, on the process with, with proper technique, um, and making sure you're taking good shots. And I think that's sometimes a really difficult thing to do is just to walk away when things aren't maybe doing, going the right way and just forgetting about it. Like the best athletes in biathlon, they have a bad day of shooting and they have a really short memory because then it allows them to come back and shoot well the next day. And I think that's what really needs to happen within like in, in a lot of shooting sports. I mean, you talk to, to guys who do just three position shooting, um, and maybe even archery, like you have a bad shot, you got to let it go. Cause the last thing you want to do is let past missed shots affect your future ones. Um, so I think that's a, another really, really important thing that a lot of people, they just, they dwell on it. It gets them down and they, they read into things too much. It's like, just let it go, be confident, um, and stay focused. Mm, well said. I think I'm excited for you, man. Like not only do you have the Olympics 
and the window, I mean, you're over halfway till delayed gratification. Did you put the hay in the barn? Overcoming an injury that's very significant. And you drew an oil tag, man. Once in a lifetime, Moose. So stoked for you. Pretty excited. Where are you documenting your journey? Uh, where can people follow more or learn more about what you're up to? Um, I think the the one that I'm most uh, active on is is Instagram at Paul T. Schomer on on Instagram. I also have a YouTube channel. Um, been kind of, I would say my my YouTube is more of a hobby than it is uh, a job. But my channel name is Average Olympian. And I've been starting to post, trying to connect some uh, with people on there through creating content that can help educate, uh, empower, and inspire them. Um, so right now I'm working on a series called The Training Story, talking through the five different levels of training, um, and then hopefully going to be adapting that into helping people kind of learn how they can maybe train for specific things, whether they're doing um, an ultra marathon, a ski race, backcountry hunt, whatever it might be. Um, so you can find me on YouTube as well. Like I said, average Olympian. Um, and if you want to check out any of the races online, you can go to biathlonworld.com and you can watch all of the races for free on there. Just click on the live broadcasting tab and you will find all the live races, um, and all the past races from the past couple of years. And then lastly, if you're in Utah, you should definitely come check us out this next March. We're going to be racing in North America. The world cup is coming to soldier hollow, which is just outside of Heber city, Utah, pretty close to park city and salt Lake city. So it'll be cool to be back in the U S racing and a great opportunity for people to come check out biathlon in person as well. Mm, man, we are stoked for you and appreciate your time, Paul. It's been a pleasure getting to know not only your story, but like I got someone to root for and I love rooting for people. So, and I love that you're a hunter and an athlete um, and you're pretty young, man. You got lots of good days ahead of you and uh, be excited for you and be rooting for you and appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Awesome, guys. Fun listen. Remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. Appreciate your support. Like I said, Paul, good luck training. And, man, I hope you smack a big moose uh, and take advantage of that once-in-a-lifetime uh, moose hunt. Super stoked for you. Discount codes to remember. Canvas cutter, discount code Elkshape, 10% off. And sheep feet, 10% off. Use the discount code Elkshape. Uh, fatty meat sticks for that backcountry food. It's uh, I think it's elk hunter, and then just check the show notes, man. We we update those on all our discount codes that um, help save you some money. They support us, and uh, we appreciate your support. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch up with you next week. Keep working hard, and the name better elk hunting separation is in the preparation.